We are so blessed today to have an awesome guest speaker in Melody Johnson. I just want to share uh, this, what feels like a really appropriate introduction. She is a covenant pastor. Oh, kids are dismissed, by the way. Sorry. You may leave. I'm so sorry. Have a great time. Man. I'm thinking about Travis. Travis broke his collarbone this week playing two-and touch football. Vicious, vicious game, right? You should have seen that other kid. Broke his collarbone. He's like in a sling that immobilizes his arm. He's still going to camp because that's how he rolls. Really, really awesome that he wants to keep going. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, Melody Johnson is a covenant pastor who has served in the local church for for years in various volunteer roles as well as staff positions, including in youth ministry. She's got a huge heart for youth, church staff roles. Most recently, she served as a transitional executive director for Alpine Camp and Conference Center. Uh, As they were making their transition, that was a huge deal. Melody, thank you for being right in the throes of of a really complicated process. We're so grateful to continue our partnership with with Alpine. Uh, under new leadership and under new direction. Uh, she also serves as the secretary for the PSWC. So all the, did all of the, the staff people who have questions about their credentialing, which are many, all confused. We don't know what we're doing because we lack executive skills. She's been wrangling the cats for, for uh, a time period, helping credential over nearly 400 licensed and ordained pastors right here in our conference has a business management degree that she's put into good use from Woodbury University, spent many years in the marketplace training businesses and helping individuals flourish. She's a North Park Seminary grad, so you have questions about uh, the ECC, she can answer them. Recently completing certificates in spiritual direction, transitional ministry. She's also one of our RGR coaches, rooted, growing, and resilient, helping coach, coach pastors all across uh, our conference, just helping them in areas of ministry need and support. Uh, she has a passion for finding creative ways to help share the hope and the message of Jesus with other people uh, and has a passion for young people. Melody resides in Simi Valley. She drove all the way down from Simi to come be with us this morning. Thank you for doing that. She has her husband, Steve, along with her young adult daughter. There are two rescue dogs in her free time. She loves reading, baking, downhill skiing, God bless you, family dog walks, having coffee with other people, and traveling when and wherever possible. Please help me welcome Melody Johnson. Wow, like, I don't think I can live up to that hype, actually. (laughs) Oh, good morning to everyone here in the room and those of you online. I'm going to give you a shout-out this morning. Thanks for being here. Um, Yeah, that's, like, a lot. I felt like I'm, like, oh, I'm on, like, a job interview or something. Um, So, yeah, that was, like, because I sent over, like, just, like, hey, this is a little bio I use for, you know, coaching and things like that. So, um, but, no, it is great to be here with you this morning. Um, so we're going to dig in this morning to some scripture, but I want to start off. How many of you ever spend any amount of time with a child? Like they ask a lot of questions, right? Like you only have to spend like five minutes with them, right? And you know how many questions they ask. So like we kind of grow up in this world navigating through questions. Um, why is the sky blue? Where does the rain come? Do I have to go to school? 
So did you know that a child between ages of two and four generally asks about 40,000 questions? That's like up to 300 questions a day. And as they get older, their questions get harder. Like, where do babies come from? Why do people die? Why do good things, bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people? We kind of learn to navigate life through these series of questions. And educators know that students learn better when they're wrestling with questions than, living, than listening to a lecture. So this morning, I'm going to try to model that. We're going to kind of go over some questions. And you're not going to just hopefully hear me like, blah, 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 like that, you know, the Peanuts characters. So um, I know I like my questions to all be like answered like in these nice little packages with an answer that I wanted to hear, but that doesn't always happen, does it? Yeah, we don't always get those answers that we want. And do you know that Jesus asks over 300 questions in the Gospels? He only answers eight questions, but he asks over 300 questions, and we know that he already knows the answer. So why is he asking all the questions? It's obviously not for his benefit. So whose benefit is it for? It's ours. Yeah. So we're going to dig in to Mark 4, verses 35 through 41. And um, I'm thinking it's going to be up on the screen. But we're going to, let's open in prayer, and then we're going to read that um, together. Uh, dear Father God, I just thank you so much um, for this time to dig into your word. Lord, help this not just be a time that we learn about you, Lord. Let it not just be information that we stick in our pocket and we walk out the door with, but help it to transform our hearts and our lives, that we can grow closer to you, that we can know you, because we know that you know us. We give this in your name. Amen. So, in this passage, Jesus actually asks a twofer question. I don't know if that's a real word, but I like to call it a twofer. It's like, Question, question, bam, just like a little kid, right? You know, they don't even wait for the answer for the first question before they're asking another one. So um, Mark 4, 35 through 41. In um, the NIV, which I think, yep, you got there too. So that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Be quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? That's the twofer question. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So before we get started really digging into this passage, I think the main point is often missed. I have usually, you know, you've probably all heard sermons on this passage before, and you're probably pretty familiar with it. And I think so often that we just hear about, you know, it's like, oh, Jesus is in the boat with us, and there's storms, and he's going to make it pass. And sometimes we even, like, 
give that advice to other Christians, which isn't always very helpful. Um, but I think we're sometimes missing something. And then sometimes we like hear about this passage and we read this passage, and it's all about God's power and how. And man, I am super thankful that God has all that power to you know calm the wind and the seas and i've been on the receiving side of those miracles and i am so thankful for that but guess what i'm not sure that's the main point either i don't think we can stop there so we've got you know miracles we've got storms and storms let's just be honest and say it up front storms can range anything from like you know a mild inconvenience to real life and death situations and Storms can last anywhere from, like, you know, a few minutes to our entire lives. So I don't think you can throw all storms into, like, one category. There's lots of different ranges anywhere in between that that we need to just really acknowledge that in our human existence, they happen. And as important as trusting God and not to fear is and praying for those miracles I think we still need to dig in a little deeper. So I kind of like some history stuff. I'm not going to give you too much of that because I know some of you are like already checked out when I say the word history. But let's start with the Sea of Galilee. I think it's really important that we kind of know the context of when this was written and it kind of gives us a feel for what was happening. So there should be a slide for the Sea of Galilee. It's not a very big lake. It's not a sea. Oh, no, that's me in the Sea of Galilee. Awesome. <laughs> So it's about two-thirds the size of Lake Tahoe. It's actually freshwater lake. Um, it's only called the Sea of Galilee because of tradition. Um, 13 miles long, about eight miles across, where the disciples and Jesus would have been crossing that night was probably about a five-mile trek across. It's surrounded by hills. I kind of like, because I live in Simi Valley and we're like a little valley, I kind of think of us as like, the dry Sea of Galilee, because it's almost the same size. We got the hills. So it was a great place where the crowds would kind of sit up on the hillside, and they could hear and see pretty well. You've all been to probably some kind of a natural little amphitheater like that. So the boat. So I found this super interesting. In 1986, archaeologists, they pulled up a boat from that area um, that was from this time period, and it kind of pieced together what the uh, archaeologists and historians had kind of been putting together. The boat was probably about 27 feet long, 7 feet at its widest, and like 4 feet high. So I'm kind of thinking it takes up pretty much a good, you know, chunk of this stage here. Um, so that would have been the kind of boat that they would have used for fishing. They had all probably been in a boat like that many, many times in their lives. So... The title is Mega Windstorm, Mega Calm, and Mega Awe. And in the Greek, this passage uses that word, mega, for the three things. For the windstorm, for the calm, and for the awe. Our English translations, a lot of times it's great, or they feared and they trembled. But I like mega. Um, this is not just some normal storm. This is like a mega storm. Like, I, I'm going to keep going with that. And I think in Southern California, we don't understand mega storms. Um, 
if you live in other parts of the country, and you know, my heart goes out to those on the East Coast where this torrential rain came in and it has just decimated and devastated towns. Um, but here in Southern California, we got a lot of rain this year, but that, that wasn't anything like what we're talking about today. So in this encounter, Jesus, he's been teaching from the boat now, we're like, why was he teaching from the boat? There was no green room or meet and greet. Like, you know, I need a miracle meet and greet, things like that. So people were crowding him. He needed a little bit of distance. So he would go into the boat and teach. And most of his teaching was done right in this area, either from the boat or right around the Sea of Galilee. And because people were crowding him, if they had them in the boat and he was just a little bit off, that kind of gave them that automatic little, like, roped-off VIP section. And the disciples would have been in with him, um, you know, kind of close, because it talks about how they brought them in and, and would share with them. So this account is in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And as I was reading and I was studying this, um, a lot of the New Testament scholars say that Mark's account has more details because Mark probably got his account directly from Peter. And if we know kind of our New Testament then the Gospels, Peter was most likely in the boat that night with Jesus. That was, you know, we don't know this for sure. Um, you know, I, I, we, of course, we don't know this for sure. This was a long time ago. But it kind of got me thinking what would that conversation have been like between Mark and Peter? And there's an there's a artwork by um, Laura James that we're going to put up here on the screen. Um, and we're going to do something a little different, and it might feel a little bit uncomfortable for you if you're not used to using your imagination through Scripture, but believe me, it's not some new, weird, new age thing. It's for you know, hundreds of years Christians have been using their imagination to experience Scripture. And it kind of takes us a little bit from what I was like, that head knowledge, to hopefully some transformation into some bringing it into our hearts. So I picture Mark and Peter... They're in a room. This is sometime after Jesus had died and been resurrected. Um, and I want you just to like, you can look at the picture, you can close your eyes. We're going to just imagine for a moment um, what that conversation might have been like. I'm guessing that they're sharing, you know, have a cup of coffee or maybe a glass of wine. And Mark starts off the conversation. He's like, hey, Peter. We need to finish writing down this stuff that Jesus was teaching us. Remember, he said he's going to come back, and we need to make sure that we're doing all these things that he wants us to be doing. So kind of, can you tell me again about that night on the Sea of Galilee with that mega storm? I want to make sure I get it written down right. So Peter, being Peter, he begins to monologue a bit. And he's like, oh, Mark, man, that night was crazy. It all started after that really long day Jesus had been teaching from the boat. I remember we had it tethered just a little bit off the shore, off the coast. And I remember that there were so many people and they just kept crowding around. And, and you know, the hills, they were just full of people sitting up on the hill, like listening to every word that Jesus was saying. And Jesus, you know, he was teaching in parables again. 
And then after a little while, like, he would call us disciples together, and he'd kind of explain the parables. And then he'd go back to teaching, and then he'd kind of call us together again. And, like, he does this all day. And then, like, evening comes, we're, we're all pretty tired, and he's like, okay, we're going to go across, across the lake, the sea. And we're like, okay. Um, so, so we start doing our thing, and, and it just kind of seems like a pretty normal day. Like, this had been going on for a while. So, like, you know, there's some other boats around because, again, people are following Jesus everywhere, even, like, crossing the lake. They're all in their boats crossing, too. But it just kind of seemed like a normal, like, you know, Tuesday. So Jesus and us disciples were in this boat that night, and we're sailing across. And you know what? Jesus was tired from teaching all day, and he goes and he lies down, and the rest of us, man, like, we're, like, trying to figure out still. We're thinking about what he was teaching. Like, what did he mean by telling stories about lamps and seeds and how are those examples of the kingdom of God? Like, you're, we're, we're still kind of like, what the heck is going on here? And then after a little while, this gigantic, mega storm comes up. Now, Mark, as you know, like, there's some really good fishermen on this boat with us. Like, like they spend their life on the water. And, you know, we've all been out there, and we've all seen storms, but man... We never saw a storm like the one that night. It came up out of nowhere really fast, and all of a sudden the clouds came in, and the wind started blowing, and the waves, oh man, those waves, they were crashing in from all sides. And then we immediately started jumping into action, like, you know, we're doing the sail and the oars, and I'm bailing out water, and like, Jesus is still fast asleep. Like, so this goes on for a little while. And as it goes on, and we're doing all these things, we're, like, we're pretty sure we're going to die. Like, this is no normal storm. The boat is filling up with water. It's starting to kind of get a little wonky. And so all in the chaos, we start yelling to Jesus, Jesus, teacher, teacher, Jesus, wake up. Don't you care that we're going to die? Then Mark things got even weirder. Jesus, he got up, and he told the wind and the sea to stop. And you know what? It did. Instant, mega, calm on the water. Now, we're all standing there soaking wet, our hearts beating a million miles an hour, and we're looking at each other like, what just happened? It kind of felt like one of those really weird, strange dreams. Then Jesus asks us a couple questions, and I'll never forget the look in his eyes. He says to us, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? These two questions, they pierced us to our very souls. It was in that moment that the only word that I can use to describe it was mega awe. And we started to understand that Jesus was no ordinary teacher. You know, Mark, the wind and the sea, they don't just listen to anybody. 
So using my imagination, that's kind of how I think the story went. You know, maybe it might have happened in 2020 that way, but um, you know what? And again, we don't even know that it really was Peter giving the account to Mark. But when we remember that these early followers and disciples, they were humans. They were like us in a lot of ways. Um, that I think it helps bring that scripture to us in a new way and looking at it through like a new lens and a new frame. And I love and I hate that this story has a lot of loose ends. Um, like what happened to the other boats? Like they were caught in this storm and then it was all of a sudden calm. What's going through their heads? Um, that like we don't really know how this ends. There's a cliffhanger, and I don't know in like movies and things if you like cliffhangers, I sort of don't. My family gets really mad at me because then I'll be like, they needed to end that. I don't want to wait for the sequel, you know, three years from now. Um, But we, the disciples still, after all this happens, they don't fully understand. They're starting to. Um, Again, I wish it wrapped up with an answer to a question that I liked and it was all nice and pretty, but it doesn't. The disciples and the early Christ followers, they needed to continue wrestling with who Jesus was. And you know what? We too need to wrestle with the identity of Jesus. And the questions that Jesus and the disciples were asking in this passage. So I'm not sure that Jesus' questions to the disciples make any sense if we don't go back and we look at the question that the disciples are asking while they are soaking wet. You know, like we read this, and I kind of read it in a nice monotone voice when I read it through you, but like they're soaking wet, freaking out, bailing water, screaming. I'm going with freaking out and screaming, okay? They're human. I don't think they calmly said, hey, Jesus, can you wake up? there's like a really bad storm going on and like, like we're going to die. I don't think it went that way. I think it went because they're human and we're human. I'm thinking they were freaking out and they were screaming to wake up. And they'd already tried to do everything, it says, in their power that they knew how to do to fix the situation. So they are hysterically, teacher, don't you care if we drowned? That's their question in the middle of the storm, after they've already done all these things that they know how to do to fix the situation, they're asking Jesus, don't you care? Then Jesus calms everything. I'm guessing that the soaking wet disciples' hearts are still beating like a million miles an hour because it doesn't say that like, you know, God like, you know, instantly dried them off and calmed them down. Like that usually takes a little bit of time. The sea is calm. Then Jesus answers, why are you so afraid you still have no faith? So the questions are connected. They're a twofer. There's no dialogue between them. They're kind of two sides to the same coin. And it's based on their question before the sea was calmed. And then the last question at the end is, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. In Psalm 95, verses 3 through 5, For the Lord is a great God, and the great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. 
The sea is his, for he made it, and the dry land, which his hands have formed. The disciples knew there was only one voice that the sea and the winds would listen to. There was only one voice that they would recognize. That was the one of the voice, the voice of the one that created them. This is a very different miracle than the other miracles that the disciples had witnessed. And what is their response? Mega awe. That's the point I don't want us to miss when we go through this passage. That it is about Jesus' power and his identity. I think Jesus is asking them, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? Not because fear wouldn't have been expected. Jesus would have expected them to be afraid if they thought they were going to die. But he asks them in response to their question, don't you care that we're going to die or that we're going to perish? Don't you care? I want to dwell on that a moment here. And this encounter it becomes more than just a passage about knowing that Jesus will weather our storms with us and that he's doing miracles behind the scenes it's about us asking don't you even care Jesus don't you care that I just got laid off don't you care that my children are really struggling don't you care that I've got this medical diagnosis that I don't know how to live with don't you care Now, I am incredibly grateful um, that Jesus and the disciples cried out that day and that he does care and that he is working when we don't see it and we don't feel it. And so often, I do exactly what the disciples did. I start bailing out water. I start making all the right calls and talking to all the right people and doing everything in my power to fix a situation. And I'm shouting. I'm I'm doing that screaming and freaking out thing. God, don't you care? Jesus, don't you care? This isn't working. And you know what? Anybody else do that sometimes? It might just be me. Um, But he does. But how do I learn to do this in the midst of the storm, not after he's done the miracle? And I'm going to be real honest with you, 2022 was super rough for me. Um, like, the last few years have been rough, pretty much terrible for everyone that I know. And then in 2022, like, life seemed to be going back to normal for a lot of people. I don't know. My life just kept getting worse and worse. And, like, like, like people around me were, like, crashing and burning And like, I, so, you know, as Doug mentioned, I I finished up my thing at the camp and then I'm like, okay, God, what's next? And I didn't get any answers. And I was just getting pounded and pounded by the waves. And I was doing all the things that I could think of. Like I was taking more classes and I was applying for more jobs and talking to more people. And I just kept coming back to you. Don't you even care? Um... But you know what? It's in those dark, stormy moments when we are feeling those waves pounding that we can remember that, yes, God does care. 
Who I was crying out to is the important part. The power of the gospel is that the same God that has the power to control the wind and the seas is in the boat of our lives with us. And you know what? He does care. Now, I'm going to ask you a really tough question. And this is a question that I asked myself, and I asked myself in that really stormy part, and it was, do I need Jesus to calm the storm before I get to mega awe? So much easier to have this just awe for God after he's done the miracle, after the sea is calm in our lives, but it's in that middle of the storm can we see the identity and understand and appreciate God and that mega awe in the middle of the storm. God, the creator of the cosmos, he came to earth to dwell as one of us and now has given us the power of the Holy Spirit. When we begin to internalize internalize that understanding of Jesus and the Trinity, I think we get the answer to our question. Do you even care? And then I think we can start to understand why Jesus asks back, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Let's sink in a moment. How does that play out in our own lives? And I think the disciples' response to our, um, and our appropriate response to who God is when we really let that sink in, is mega awe. And that word awe um, and mega, like they get translated different ways in our English um, Bibles. Uh, The New Living Translation uses the word terrified. Um, We have, there's fear shows up in a lot of translations. We don't really know what to do with holiness and this how to, how we relate to God. So we like to categorize things as humans. Like we categorize people by what they do for a living, what they look like, where they live. We categorize plants. We categorize animals. We categorize our books. We categorize our movies. Um, It makes sense of our world, right? It helps us to keep order and make sense of the world around us. But what do we, how do we categorize holiness, And I think that's why it's so hard sometimes just to sit in the presence of God and his holiness. I think we spend a lot of time learning about God. We can can talk to people and we can learn about God and do all those things, but it's hard to sometimes sit just with the holiness of God. And the one last thing I want to make sure we don't miss is this, this very last part in verse 41. And it says... They were terrified, or filled with mega awe, if you want, and said to one another, this is, they're asking this question of one another, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, Jesus is standing right there. Like, like he didn't go back to sleep. I'm guessing. Like, he didn't just jump out of the boat and start walking across. Like, he's standing right there. But who are they talking to? Who are they asking who this is? Each other. Again, it's so easy 
to like talk about God and to read books about God, but we don't know how to just sit in that mega awe in the presence of God. Um, and yeah, when when that really started getting to me, I was like, oh no, no, they, they they're not they're not talking to Jesus about this. They're not going straight to the source. What's going on? But you know what? I do the same thing. I do the same thing all the time. And I think once we really, I just, I don't want us to live, leave here without this transforming us and just being head knowledge about God. And so we're going to just take a, just a few moments um, in silence just to dwell with God and the presence of God. We're going to take a moment just to dwell on the power and the identity of God. God that is in control of the wind and the sea. God that is still creating the universe. God that came to earth as Jesus to walk among us and to teach and to demonstrate his power. God, the Holy Spirit that's in our boats with us. God that knows how messy we are and how we try to fix everything on our own before we yell out to him for help. We're just going to sit for a moment in silence and soak in who God is and how are you this morning going to respond to his holiness. Take some time. And as we close our time together, let's go back to where we started about navigating our world through questions. So this morning, if you are calling out, God, Jesus, don't you even care? I want to encourage you to take time this week to reflect on the identity, that holiness, that awe of God. And when you start there, the answer will eventually become clear. And this morning, if you are questioning this whole Jesus of the Gospels thing, I want to encourage you to seek out a pastor or a trusted friend that you can ask more questions about. I am sure that they were happy to share their spiritual journey with you. Um, And it doesn't matter that if you've been following faithfully for 90 years or you are brand new to this whole thing and not even believing it, My hope and my prayer is that we leave here this morning transformed by the power of God, a God that really does care for you. We get to write the ending to this cliffhanger that scripture leaves us with in Mark 4. We can remember that there are mega storms and that God can bring that mega calm, but most importantly, it's how we respond that's going to be our ending to the cliffhanger. How are we going to respond to Jesus' identity? I challenge you to commit some time this week to dwell in the presence of the one and the only God that even the wind and the sea obey because they know their maker's voice, a God that does care.
So let's just close in prayer and you guys can come back up and